0: Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way Podcast. I do believe that we are sent the people we need in order to continue us on our journey. Sometimes they're assholes and they teach us lessons we don't want to learn. But many, many times they are significant reshapers, redirectors of your history. And I'm very honored today to have one of those amazing reshapers of my path on. And it's my dear friend and mentor, Rose Fass. Rose is uh, a the founder of the of a very, very interesting firm called Fast Forward, and I would describe them as they help shape and change the conversations that happen inside of organizations, and uh, Rose has been a dear friend for about a decade and has mentored me um, in a number of areas of life, and we are spiritual soulmates in many ways, and so welcome, Rose. Thank you. It's great to be here,
1: Justin. And I'm delighted with all the the new ways in which you are changing the conversation.
0: Thank you, thank you. And you've you know been such an influence. I remember reading even before I met you. I think Chocolate Conversations. I can't remember what year that came out, but I think I read it before you, I met you. And I use something from that book every day. And now the new book that's out, um, I am using. I'm using already using things from from that book. Um, so. Anyway, welcome um, thank to, you. to this and so you you're in a very unique position um, you're you know I don't even know how to quite describe how to watch you at work. you know you and I've done projects with Verizon, um, watching the way you interact with your with your um, partner and team member you know partner Gavin and team members and other folks within your firm. Um, you have this very dynamic authentic, but graceful kind of leadership. And before we get into the questions, I was just curious about who was a role model for you growing up as a leader and both, you know, in your childhood, but as you got into your corporate career, who, who are some people that really influenced how you lead and how you communicate?
1: Yeah. So I wrote a little bit about that in the book and it would start, first of all, early on with my dad. My dad was a World War II Marine, a published poet, and someone who is conversant in all the Romance languages. Um, Mm -hmm. So he's an unusual guy. He was a Depression kid, uh, grew up very poor. Um, But his mom said to him as she was uh, passing away when he was 10 years old, uh, Peter, money will never separate you from poverty. It'll be knowledge and, uh, and your belief in something greater than you. So promise yeah. me, you will go to university and you'll keep your spiritual life strong. Um, I think he brought us all up with that. There was a, everybody laughs at this one principle growing up, uh, be up at 0600 and ready for company. That was the end of his conversation. Um, And that said a lot in that one little phrase. So uh, I am always pretty much up early in the morning, hair combed, um, dressed appropriately and ready for company. Mm -hmm. And his view of this, don't get caught off guard because every moment counts in life and you need to be ready for the moment. From there, I would say my earliest recollection of being a part of something that mattered to me was when I got graduated from college and I ended up at Saks Fifth Avenue on their training program. I wrote about this in the book too. I met two women, Nan Edelstein, who was this crazy, lots of bracelets, creative flowery skirt kind of person. Um, And she used to say to me, you know, it's really important to kind of just be free, go with your gut, think about what you're doing. And so I managed her department, which was all accessories and couture bags. And then I was working for Miss Janet, who is this buttoned up lady with a very, you know, bow tie kind of thing. She managed all of blouses. She was the buyer for all of blouses, which in those days, honest to God, Justin, took up an entire floor. And you had the couture, very fashion oriented, the tailored, the this, that. She taught me process. And uh, Miss Janet was, I don't even know her last name. It was Miss Janet. And uh, she used to say to me all the time, don't take shortcuts. You must learn the long way home before you take any shortcuts. Um, And I learned process from her. And the odd part was the creativity of Nan and the process-driven way in which Miss Janet operated kind of conflated for me in a way that made it work. I don't know. And they were good friends, which was really weird, because they couldn't have been more different. Mm -hmm. Later, I worked for a guy by the name of Jack Winters. And uh, Jack used to say to me, when it's in your purview to help someone, just do it. Mm -hmm. So I never really fully understood that till we were taking a taxi to an airport where we really needed to get to California, one flight, and we were calling on a massive chain. I was working for Mary Quant Cosmetics at that point as their national sales manager, And a lady was broken down on the East River Drive and he stopped the cab, jumped out of the cab, helped her change her tire. And I thought, oh, my God, we're going to be very late. And he jumped back in the cab and the cab driver said, you know, I had to charge you for this. And he said, it's no problem. And then we drove and we barely made it. It was pre the days when you had to go through security. So we ran to the gate and he said to me, very important uh, I want you to always know that when it's in your purview to help someone, you help. Um, and I learned that from him. Later, I became aware of, um, of leadership is something that happens in the moment. And that for him right. was a moment. Uh, you don't get to plan for it. Right. Um, it's not something that you, uh, if you do miss it, you can get it back um yeah. so it just it hit me and that's probably stayed with me for a very long time between my dad miss janet nan and jack were my early shapers if you will of right. how i see
0: the world yeah so fascinating how how like i said that people come into our lives like that and my my grandfather he was a man of few words and oh one moment say,
1: I'm just to shut this door
0: Um, he my grandfather would say things like he would just he was a man of few words he would say let's eat or let's work and that meant like like up at 0600 and ready for company yeah it was like a thousand words you know yes <laughs> um so I, I I we don't I love that density of of communication um that you don't see much anymore but well so you know I've been a Different than other guests I've had on, even a lot of my friends that I've had on here, I've I've witnessed you in action, um, which is pretty pretty phenomenal. And one of the things that always strikes me, and you said this to me years and years ago, but that leadership is is happens in moments, and most of them are unplanned. And then later on, you had said leadership is a conversation that Absolutely. was a thing. And so when I saw that you were writing a book about that, I was so happy because you don't focus on process. It's not like you don't care about process. You don't and it's, you don't focus on systems, you don't focus on hierarchies. Um and what I love also about that is a that a conversation, making leadership a conversation means that you have to have your own inner shit together in order to be able to do that. Otherwise you're just, you know, blabbing um, or convincing or gaslighting or pitching and That you always, in the work you have done over the years, directed leaders to go inward to speak from the heart in an authentic way, Um, and I think that's I think that's remarkable. So that goes into the first question that I wanted to ask you, that we would both answer is what. So why are conversations leadership moments? What I hear, you know, we we know that's true, but why is it true? Why is it true? Yeah
1: yeah, it's interesting, because I, I love the comment of, that I've made occasionally with people that leadership happens in the conversation or not. So mm. I think leadership is messy. You've said a lot in that first um, sort of preleg to what we're talking about here. If you aren't comfortable with your muddy shoes and your brilliance, you're never going to be authentic. So Mm -hmm. I always feel like we bio into this world with that which makes us phenomenal and that which is, you know, needs a tremendous amount of work. Um, And Mm -hmm. if you accept that about yourself and you have an internal compass um, and you're not validated by everyone else, you can come Mm -hmm. across extremely real and authentic. And I think people pay attention to leaders who are open and honest about their flaws. So... Mm -hmm. For me, a conversation is, is real. Um, I believe that when Zelensky, who was in the mess of messes, uh, and I use it as a most recent example, had the opportunity to step up and step into his leadership, he did it in the moment. Perfect example. Um, let's get you out of there, things are bad. And his response is, I don't need a ride. What I need is to protect my country, bring me the support I need, weaponry and what have you. In that moment, he changed the conversation for every leader. They all paled in his wake. Um, Today, Justin, I watch the news and I am not by nature terribly political on the Mm -hmm. public stage, but I'm looking at these leaders globally And the level of vitriol and lack of willingness to even allow a different point of view to surface and have a civil discourse, which I write about in the book, um, it's just very, very sad. And I look at it and I say, how can we get to a better place if we are cult-like in our followings? My father once said to me, kick dog loyalty will get you killed. You want loyalty. You want people who are loyal enough to tell you the truth. But if it's kick dog, then so I look at leaders and say they don't recognize that everything they do, whether it's a presentation, a chat, a text message, an email that goes out, a flyby in the hall. Those are all leadership moments. And right. when they get missed because they're not dealt with properly, that conversation unfortunately goes just as viral as the good conversation, and yes. uh, and it defines your leadership. It defines
0: your yeah. leadership. It does. I, I love all that, and it's also I think it, my take on this is that conversations are not, are two way by nature. Otherwise, it's not a conversation. It's a monologue. Correct. And a lot of leaders that are more egocentric tend to gravitate towards monologues. Um, you know, They bloviate um, you know, for, in, those, in those moments and, and, or ramble or whatever. And I think a, the ability to have a conversation is reflective of your own level of self-awareness and humility, because it's really difficult to have a great conversation with someone if you're not an active listener. And if you're an active listener, it means that you're connected to your heart you were actually using your heart. And so I look at this with leaders. The, here's what we remember of leaders. We remember the bold actions they took and the language that they used. Like you told the story of Zelensky. I think of General McAuliffe when he was surrounded by the Germans and the Ardennes in, in Christmas of 1944, and he was asked to surrender. And his one word response was nuts, which is basically a more friendly version of, you know, tell, you know, FU. Yeah, uh, exactly.
1: Exactly. And don't yeah. we just
0: love it? And we do. And we remember that. And we remember bold actions too, but we remember language. We, and, and I think that the other thing about this, and I know this is something you and I've bonded over many times is language is reflection of energy. The, the word you use is very reflective of the, of the energy that you bring. And especially with younger people, people that have done a lot more consciousness work, they can pick up, no matter what you say, they can pick up your energy Absolutely. and language. Like your language is the fruit of energy. And that's what makes it leadership because it's how you, it's what you talk often a lot about presence, how you show up and your presence in the room and your bearing in the room. Language is a huge indicator of that. I love this term. I have these little rosesms I use all the time. Wipe and dipe, um, Uh, look good smell good remember that one look good, smell good Uh, yeah you can look good smell good and and still be a central
1: casting but that doesn't make you a leader you know (laughs) you said a couple of things that i really love first of all the monologue what we're seeing today on the public stage is dueling monologues not conversation dueling monologue uh then humility people are very embarrassed by it. Oh, I don't want to be humble. Humble isn't about thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself. And that's the distinction that most people don't get. You know, it's kind of like somebody else is going to always do something better than you. You know, I think of that story early on in the chocolate conversation, and this dates me, but I, I grew up in East Utica and upstate New York. And East Utica is like, you know, A very, very interesting uh, geography because it's urban and yet it's very small townish and long story short, as a little Italian girl growing up in that community, um, there was a a discovery from Disney of Annette Funicello who in my day was like the it girl. Uh, and we were very annoyed by it, you know, and I uh, I was very jealous of the fact that she got discovered and we didn't. And, you know, she was 15 and we were, you know, nine. Um, mm-hmm. And we walked around, you know, pretty mopey about it. And at the time, I had no idea, Justin, what it was about that whole thing that set me off. But I figured, you know, we were all little girls. We were all, you know, we all had dark hair. We could dance. We were all cute. How come her? Um, and I remember walking down the street with all my little Italian friends, uh, Barbara Bono, Rosemary Grazia. I mean, you it, it was hilarious, Lucy Caputo, and we're all carrying on. And it was a very unique day because East Utica has maybe four days of sunshine and they happen in the summer. But anyway, we're walking along and winters are long and my dad... You never knew who you were going to get, the the marine or the philosopher. And my dad is sitting there plucking dandelions out of the lawn. You remember this story. And he says to me, uh, Rose, and I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to stop and have any conversations. And he's holding this dandelion up to me. And he's like, what do you see? And uh, I gave him a very sick answer because I was too tired to think about it. Dad, I see a dandelion. He said, I want you to look wider. I want you to look deeper. I want you to tell me what you see beyond this. And I uh, immediately knew I had to give him a rhetorical response because at that point I was exhausted, Uh, sad, disappointed with my little nine-year-old life. And I said to him, I don't know, dad, what do you see? And he said, I see the end of a very long winter. I see the introduction to the promise of spring. I see Mm. lovers exchanging these in silent, I love you's. I see children taking them to their moms to put them in juice glasses to set on the windowsills of the kitchen. And I looked at him and the tears started coming and I don't know why. And I said, Mm. you see a lot, dad. He said, soon, Rose, the prettier flowers are gonna come along the irises, the tulips, yes, and even the roses.
0: Um,
1: And I, like many homeowners, are going to rip these dandelions out of the lawn. This once beautiful expression of spring is going to become a weed and a distortion to the lawn. And the beauty of the dandelion isn't when it rears its head to introduce the spring. It's in its root because it's resilient. And those of us who have dealt with this know that they come back double folds the following year for their own little moment of glory. Your mm-hmm. mother and I have named you Rose. Roses are fragile. In your heart, you need to be a dandelion. Mm-hmm. I think that moment for me was a, a moment that defined my, the rest of my life. I became a weed. Um, And I cried in the arms of the Marine and the philosopher. And for some reason, Justin, I felt better. I don't know why, but it became my signature story because I realized years later when this woman who at the time was a girl that was my idol and my nemesis had contacted MS and had been, you know, stricken. And I thought. I wouldn't want to change places with her now. And she yeah. passed away early and we never know. My mom used to say, we see down the street, God sees around the corner. We never right. know what's going to happen to us. So those moments that we've spoken about you and me, um, they need to be, they need to be important because they, they go by very quickly.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I think um again, this goes back to like leading from the heart instead of leading from the ego. The ego is about speed. It misses everything. It has what's ahead and what's behind, but it doesn't pay That's attention a to what's perfect way of putting it. And people that you're leading need you right now. They need you here. You know, they don't need you in a drive-by conversation or distracted or, you know, rushing to the next thing. Is that it's not leadership if something else. It's directing or commanding. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes there's shit has got to get done or whatever, but most of the time, um, you know, people want your presence. And so that goes to uh, the next question. And I'm super intrigued by what your answer might be here is that if having conversations as a leader, is it a natural gift or is it a learned skill? So, Obviously we're teaching it. So
1: I didn't always think that leadership could be learned and I'll (laughs) confess. Um, I actually thought people were born with these qualities and those that are God bless them. Um, but what I've learned over the years is that people who really want to know, who really want to lead and want to do better are willing to participate in what they can learn And I think one of the the big things that I have been able to teach, and it came through a breakthrough conversation I had many years ago at Xerox, are these three spheres, the technical, the social, the political. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of us who have subject expertise get promoted on that expertise. Um, We don't necessarily get promoted on our ability to broker and bridge, connect with others, build a network, have a great conversation. Uh, We also don't always get uh, promoted because we know how to position things well. Um, So when you're promoted on your technical expertise, you then lose sight of the other pieces. I think of uh, Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. Um, He has the technical expertise to be an outstanding football player. And I know there's a lot of rhetoric around him right now. But he had extraordinary ability to connect with people and and taking on a couple of guys that had not done well in their career and helped, you know, had done phenomenally in the technical, but blew it in the other areas. He brought them in and won another Super Bowl with those two guys. And I was really, you know, amazed by it Um, in the social and the political in the social we're approachable, we're likable we have the ability to connect. In the political, we have the ability to position things in a way that others can hear them, where we can be Mm -hmm. opinion shapers, where Mm -hmm. we can help someone take it to the next level because we're not just pushing our agenda but we're actually considering theirs. Um, Going back to Zelensky, he spoke to every country in a way that he spoke to their listening. Um, And so uh, we teach this, right? So he went to Britain and he spoke to the Blitz. He went to us and he spoke to the terror that we went through in 9-11. He had the ability to just bring it home based on what we personally experienced. People need to have a visceral experience of you when you're leading. So we're teaching people a method um, that they can begin to adopt in their everyday. And we had a, a CFO who's Been very much in the technical sphere. That said, he had one of those moments, you know, a a moment of what you would call just an awareness, and said, Wow, I never thought about this. And the next time he stood up in front of people, he did something that was so unique. He said, There's only 600 of us here physically, but there are 2,000 of us around the world. And I want to thank you for tuning in and for your generosity of the time that you're tuning in because I know it's not early for all of you. Some of you should be in bed. That little something, that little something that he never would have thought of before. So I do believe you can teach it. I do believe you can teach it to people who are willing to learn, who can see it as a blind spot.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I think, like you said, there are people that do have sort of natural leadership skills, natural charisma um, but I love what you said about the limiting nature of building your brand as a leader around your technical skills. Systems and technical skills are commodity. You can hire people that, that know that stuff. And everyone now, I, as I refer this to this, is that we've, we've moved from the machine age into the human age. And even with AI and everything, it's all it is doing is accelerating the human age where where everyone is in the people business, it's just not very many companies are very good at it. And so this is where I think that skill comes in and the work that you guys are doing with with leaders um, is it's the the, the skill of self-awareness. Emotional intelligence is a skill. It's not not a, a habit or not habit. It's a skill that you develop similar to the Um, what my partner Virginia calls becoming into mobile, this mindset that's necessary, these seven skills that are necessary to change the world. Those are all skills. There's seven skills like critical mind and inner confidence and um, humility and things like that. What I think is interestingly from a natural standpoint, and this is kind of where you get into maybe the Enneagram a little bit, but I think some people are a little more wired to be introspective. They're, they're, they're intrinsic first and they know their own hearts. And that seems to be more natural. Um, I've been blessed to have known some of the kindest people in my various relationships. My former partner, Lena is one of the kindest people I've ever known. Um, you are extremely kind. Um, Emily, my former business partner is kind. Virginia's brilliantly kind. Kindness. I don't think it's a skill. I think people that are connected to their hearts have it. And that seems to be more natural. I struggle to confess I've struggled over the years with compassion. I'm kind of, I can be kind of a hard ass. And, and but I but I've learned to I've learned the skill of compassion, but it wasn't a natural thing. And I think if you have these heart-based leaders this is why I am so such a vocal proponent of women in leadership positions is because y'all are much more naturally connected to your hearts than us dudes. And not and always there's a, not always the power there. Right. Not
1: always, there are plenty in of the women side, yeah, that have in the talked out of it that have felt like they have to be more yang than yin. Um, I honestly believe too, you learn that kindness as a child. Um, it's so difficult sometimes, Justin, when you've been raised by an abusive parent or a parent mm-hmm. that is shut down, yeah. uh, for you to then develop that. Sometimes people break through it because they see it and they don't want to be like that. Other times they've absorbed it. And Mm -hmm. um, we get talked out of, as we've often said from the time we're little children, we get talked out of showing that vulnerability, either by being bullied or whatever happens in our lives. Um, The heart connection comes from somebody that's secure in their own skin. Um, And, you know, even if you are a kind person uh, or you do have that heart connection, I, like you, can lose patience with people that, you know, and then I'm like, I'm not interested in having this tedious conversation anymore. Um, And and we have to be able to call it like it is. I mean, not all of us, you know, you can't be 100 percent. Uh, you know, the compassionate person at all times. Sometimes it requires you to be a little tough. Uh, and and the, you know, I love this description of emotional intelligence because, you know, the guy who wrote it, wrote it like a, uh, a logic gram. Uh, and I had to laugh about it. here, we're talking emotional intelligence and there were so many methods and tools. I thought to myself, this is hysterical. But I was sitting in a room of a group of people and we were asking them, to pair up and kind of talk about what does it mean when we talk about leadership conversations in the moment? How do you have a conflicted conversation with someone about their performance? Yeah. Uh, And there were two people together, I'll never forget this. It was in New York. Guy was from Brooklyn. The other woman was from Staten Island. And she explained to the guy that she knew she had to put this man on performance improvement, but she had just gone to his wedding three or four weeks ago And it felt awkward. And this Brooklyn guy just stands up, you know, in the middle of the conversation. And he goes, whoa, you don't go to weddings. You go to funerals, but you never go to weddings. And everyone in the room burst out laughing. And we all asked what the context was. And he proceeded to say, you know, if you go to a wedding, you're mixing your social with someone you're leading, um, when you go to a funeral, you're a leader paying respects. I thought, what an extraordinary soundbite to describe that's emotional that's intelligence. That. You don't go to weddings; you go to funerals, but you don't go to weddings. And I just, I, I laughed and I wrote about it in the book. Um, uh-huh. That's awareness at the at the most basic level. That guy got yeah. it um, because now she was in a compromised position. Not that she couldn't work herself out of that, but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. And I do think too, that when we get into awareness, mindfulness, consciousness, whatever you want to call it, um, it changes your conversations you have too. And you can, I'm sure you witnessed this, that some leader that's been doing the inner work, whether that's meditation or prayer or therapy or all three, and they've been doing the inner work and they've raised their consciousness and their conversations shift away from more like uh, seeing the person they're leading as an object or a tool to seeing them as a human being and the conversation shifts their energy shifts and i i think that's another thing that if we imagine you know 10 percent more leaders did that inner work that they like i go back to this uh you know fast forward and the work you and gavin and your team have done over the years around transformation my belief is this if you want to transform your organization, you have to transform your own consciousness first. Absolutely. Because, because you and stop using terms like human capital and people are our best assets. They're not, they're not machines, they're humans. And what they want is to be seen. And this is why we say at Massive, the company that the coaching practice of Virginia and I've started that consciousness changes the dynamics of power. And one of the reasons is it changes the dy- dynamics of power, is it changes the conversations that you have um, with people. Um, And it
1: starts with the conversation you're having with yourself. And you talk about that all the time. What's our inner conversation? Because that inner conversation can be uh, uplifting or you can be constantly putting yourself in a place where you can't express joy. Um, People follow people who have energy and joy. Uh, Nobody wants to follow someone who is, clinically depressed or is constantly dealing with a negative vibe um, we often talk about it as the automatic no uh and where you're walking around everything's a no yeah i i think we have to be open to the yeses in our lives um now if somebody's over there overly pleasing and they've got an automatic yes to everything they have to find their courageous no so I always yeah. say, find your courageous yes, find your courageous no. Uh, when it matters most, you have the opportunity to break through your own personal inner conversation, um, and that mm-hmm. takes courage and a willingness mm-hmm. to accept the fact that if something doesn't feel right, there's probably something to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I- so, I-, I think it's really, I think it's really. Uh,
0: uh, a lifelong journey. I'm still working it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Michelangelo's last words. I still have, I still have so much to learn. Um, and I think too, I, the workshops I do on leadership branding, um, developing your leadership brand. I talk about the three most essential skills or, or elements are authenticity, vulnerability, and intuition. And intuition is often forgotten because intuition is also um, kind of a director of conversations if you can read the room if you can into it you know when someone's having a bad day or needs a word of encouragement i have a tattoo my first tattoo i got five or six years ago it's a bible verse isaiah 50 and 4 it reminds me of my gift which it, it, it's the verses you've been given the tongue of the learned to give a word and season to those that are weary that's what it, it's, it's reflective of the fact that when you're tuned into your own soul you can then read the room with people. And sometimes they need a kick in the ass. Sometimes they need a hug. Sometimes they just need to be reminded of their worth. All of that is leadership. Um, and it
1: really is. And knowing when to do that, you yes. know, with buttons and levers, you know, it's knowing when to do that. Um, and it it fills you. It, it, when you can give someone what's needed, you give yourself what you need too, And that's yes. a very special part about this whole experience. Yes.
0: And they, there's some sayings in football. One is, it's not X's and O's, it's Jimmy's and Joe's. It's, it comes down to the people. And Jimmy Johnson, the former Cowboys and, uh, head coach, said, You got to know who's asked to kick, who's asked to pat, and who's asked not to touch. You know, that's I love an example. It. I love it. Yeah. That's, that's, you that's, know, that's the nuance. You know,
1: Gavin and I, early on, um, having been trained as a classic engineer, he wrote these beautiful structured emails that I began to learn how to do because I thought they were really good but at the top I used to say to him you know be a little pleasant you know open it up with a little you know so he would send me the emails and say insert pleasantries here (laughs) and I would insert the pleasantry and send it back and we started to laugh and uh you know, I learned how to manage work better from Gavin and he learned how to lead people from me. And I think that there's an extraordinary gift there in, in what you bring to each other. Uh, And you knew us early days when it could get very volatile because we were very uniquely different. Um, I, I look at one thing, um, there's a plan Mm -hmm. I can live into that plan or I can resist it with everything I've got. And I'm not talking about the operating plan. I'm talking yes. about the universal plan it, it, and yeah, we're part point. of that. We're part of that. Yeah. And uh, right now I've had the great joy of working with Chick-fil-A and uh, I went to their conference very recently and it was so uplifting because they live in the light and they believe it. And there's a wonderful experience to be had there um I remember working with Ajay Banga, the CEO of MasterCard, and he wrote a little on my book. He could read Sorry. a spreadsheet better than anybody else, but he could read a room equally as well. And when you can read a room and read a spreadsheet, you got it. Those are the yes. two things that really make
0: a difference. So that is the, the yin and yang. I, you know, you look, you look at it from the masculine, the feminine, yin and yang read the room is the feminine, read the, read the spreadsheets, the masculine. I don't mean gender. I mean, energy. And that's that whole leader that we need because absolutely this, this idea that people are a part of the machinery is not true anymore. That they're not, this isn't, there's not an assembly line. The org chart that you have is not really how things get done. It's the unofficial org chart is how things get done, which is absolutely which I don't know a lot about. I just and, spoke to my
1: people about that this morning. If you have to rely on an org chart to establish your leadership, you're dead. But yeah, I recognize right. that we're getting close to the witching hour, so yeah, that's okay.
0: I got one more question for you. Um, okay, if you have, if you have, time, I do. I just have I a
1: minute more, and then I've got to hop on.
0: Okay, so. <laughs> It's How do you have, what's a tip that you have for how to have a tough conversation in today's sensitive climate? I believe very much in inclusivity. I believe very much in compassion and, being, and empathy. But I also don't believe in fragility. And how do you do that? How do you have a tough conversation where on one end, you don't want to be insensitive on the other end, you don't want, to, you don't want someone to be triggered by silliness? You know, like, how do you do that?
1: Yeah. So oddly enough, this morning on our we have uh, two meetings every week, an hour on Monday mornings is what's on your plate and an hour on Friday mornings is what's on your mind. So Gavin usually gives a tech tip on a Monday. And I gave a leadership tip today. And it was on that very thing. The hardest thing in the world is to have a conversation that you feel is conflicted. Um, And so I always say have the conversation about that conversation before you go into the conversation. Ask permission. Uh, Justin, uh, there's been something that I've had on my mind and I love you dearly and I've wanted to talk to you about it, but I never would want in any way for this to break our relationship. Not that it's all that serious, uh, but I take it seriously from the standpoint that I want you to hear this in the vein that I'm offering it. Whatever the case is, it's that macro conversation that gives you permission to speak to someone or to give them feedback. You can't just zero in. And the yes. most important thing is that you validate the individual, that you, you fix it on the issue, not the person. Um, yes. Fix the problem, not the blame. That's a big right. one. Okay, yeah. so that's my tip is to have the conversation about the conversation, and if, in fact, I'm reading this wrong, by all means, I welcome you having a very direct conversation with me as well. so there's a two way opportunity to to talk through this
0: yeah, and real quick fifteen second response, and I'll let you go is for for me, it's look at your intention in a in a difficult conversation because If you think if you if you have a tendency to try to manage what someone else is feeling, you're making it about you. And if it truly is about them and your relationship with them, you're not going to try to manage their feeling. You're just going to hold space for it because you might be wrong, like you said. Absolutely. Um, And and then managing feelings is a is, is the ego trying to control people. And um that doesn't help doesn't help any conversation to do no, that so. and you
1: can't you you'll never change the way someone feels by demanding it.
0: And that's exactly. just so that's the way it, works. So, exactly way it um, works. And so well, all good conversations have to end, including this one. <laughs> so thank you so much.: Thank I you, Justin.
1: You for- I very much enjoyed it, and I look forward to us continuing the conversation.:
0: Yes, thank you. Have a good okay, rest of your day. Bye.